So there go up John Kane and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Tuesday, March 31st, 2020, the longest month in the history of the world. I don't know if there's been a longer month than March of 2020. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers. We don't do Buffalo speeches. We don't speak about mysticism. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's heaped upon us, and we do it all right here, live from the Cattaraugus Territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk Native. But first, let me remind people that our our audio streams live on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. I encourage you to check out our website, uh, check out uh, our store page on there where you can buy some uh, some t-shirts to promote Let's Talk Native or we'll provide a conversation piece because <laughs> uh, they kind of make a statement. But anyway, um, we take the video and we, we uh, stream that on, on live, uh, Facebook Live, I'm sorry, and uh, on all our on our group pages, on our Facebook group pages, and across a bunch of other Facebook group pages as well. Uh, we take the audio and we put it up on SoundCloud, so it puts it up as a podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video and we put it up on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I encourage you to subscribe to our podcast uh, casts, and I encourage you to uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, I'm the show's host and producer, and I'm joined in studio by Jake Proud, who is managing our audio and our video. Uh, look, you know, I got a couple of things I want to get into. Uh, one of the things that I that I've suggested in in some of the promo here, um, racism seems to be surviving this uh, COVID nineteen just fine. So I want to talk a little bit about that, um, where it's showing itself, uh, how um, we are responding to it, I guess, and just you know, at a time when people think that oh, when 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 there's crisis people just come together and it's so heartwarming and eh, no nah, it doesn't quite like that i mean obviously it's not even happening politically in in the u.s and you still have the right versus the left and that's true on the canadian side and the u.s side but racism is is doing quite well in the age of uh, covid19 but um let me talk about some of the numbers first I, you know, since this whole thing started, I've been trying to give give some of that. So uh, let me change my page here. All right. So um, every day seems to be a record breaking day, not just for the U.S. but uh, for the, for the world. The United States um, uh, logged in almost twenty five thousand new cases today. They passed uh, uh, China, um, France, uh, uh, Iran. Um, for uh, uh germany they, they passed a bunch they passed a bunch of uh nations for the total number of cases uh only italy and spain have more cases than uh than the united states um uh, i'm sorry more deaths than the united states they nobody has more cases than the united states the united states is almost two to one over any other nation so while the president is on television saying how wonderful the united states is doing keep in mind china has five times the population of the united states and the United States has over double the number of cases, at least that China's reported, and and actually they have they have more uh, more deaths as well. So I don't know what you compare the success of the United States against. I don't know what country you compare it to. I mean Italy. I mean at this point, the United States has yeah you know has the only thing they don't lead Italy in is, is the number of deaths. 
Um, well, I take it back. Uh, Italy had the number uh, had a higher number of um, deaths, daily deaths today uh, too. But I will say they're. Um, uh, I think the new cases dropped down somewhat, but United United States had twenty almost twenty five thousand new cases today. Um, Italy had uh, four thousand. Spain, which is starting to look like a real, I mean, is starting to look a lot like Italy, had almost eight thousand new cases. So, I just wanted to put those numbers in in, in perspective. Now, one of the things that's also starting to uh, you, you hear from the the administration and from you know some of the the folks, uh, you know, the agencies involved with this administration. They keep trying to say the mortality rate is, you know, it's probably about 1%, maybe less than 1%. To be clear, if you if you do the mortality rate based on confirmed cases, if you use the biggest number possible, which is the, which is the, are the global numbers, which is uh which now is what? Um 858,000 total cases. That's how many people throughout the world are confirmed to have the disease. Now, I'm not saying that's all that there aren't more than that because there probably is are significantly more than that. There's probably 10 times that. But in terms of confirmed cases, 858,000 case uh confirmed cases in the world. And there's 42,000 deaths. If you do that math, that comes out to a mortality rate of about 5%. Now, if you went back a month or so, if you went back a month, that mortality rate was was just under four percent, and you know, and again, you had a lot of people saying, "Well, that four percent rate's not going to hold. It's not going to hold. It's not going to hold." Well, you're right; it didn't hold. It went up. The in the in the U.S., the first numbers, and again, when when there were barely any testing done, and and to be clear, the United States has only tested about 0.3 percent of their population. Now, I don't think they've tested a million people yet. If they have, it's right around a million out of 330 million. But in the beginning, the, the U.S. was coming in just over 1% on the mortality rate. But the more those numbers uh, come in, the more they roll in, not just from New York, but other places as well, that mortality rate has now risen up to uh, up to 2%. So it's it, it, the numbers are going up. They aren't going down. I mean, you would think if this thing's going to level off, the, the more numbers that come in, the, the, the you know any anomalies will, will work out in the, in the math. But here's the... One of the reasons that the United States is at 2% and the global numbers are coming in at 5% is because Europe's numbers seem like they're off the chart. I mean, um, uh, Italy, 12% of those sick die. 12% mortality rate of, of those who are confirmed to have the disease. Uh, Spain, 9%. Uh, France and, and UK, 7%. Germany's the only one with, with a lower number than the United States, and they're, they're coming in at 1%. Don't know why. Um, Jake was suggesting perhaps they really are the master race. I don't know that I buy that. I don't think Jake does either. <laughs> Let's not forget, um, Trump claims to be German when it's convenient. So um, anyway, uh, that's that, that's what the real numbers are looking like. So anybody who thinks the numbers are coming down, I mean, are flattening out in terms of death rate, no, that's not happening. Of course, we all know the numbers are going to continue to rise in terms of number of cases, and nobody's suggesting they aren't going to rise. In fact, even even Trump is suggesting that you know that the the peak is probably a week to fourteen days away. I would like to believe that. I'm not sure that the peak is in, in fourteen days. I'm not sure that the peak isn't you know a month away still, because there are a lot of um, even major cities that have not started to see the big numbers. I mean, New York has, but really, New York is the only is really the only big city that's that's been ravaged like this. I mean, Detroit's starting to get bad. 
Um, we know Seattle and, and Washington got hit pretty good. But uh, in terms of other large, large cities like Chicago and Philadelphia, uh, Los Angeles, those numbers still still aren't, aren't uh, coming in yet. And again, the, the testing is down. So we don't know what these numbers are going to look like in, in a month. Uh, is the curve going to flatten? I don't know. I will say this is the first day as I've been watching the numbers that Italy's new cases have um, gone down on a daily basis. You know, their, their new cases were, again, it was, they had about 4,000 new cases today. That's a, down, that's a, a lower number than they've had uh, in the, in, in, all, all week. Now, is it going to spike back up? Is this just an anomaly in the number counting? Who knows? But um, we can hope, right? Um, look, I, I did make my sarcastic comment today about the fact that, uh, that only Italy and Spain um, have more deaths associated with this disease than the United States. And I, and I asked the question, uh, and, and I'll explain why if I need to, I guess. So can we still explain why we're, we're so against you know, Columbus Day? I mean, to make my point, Columbus, um, regardless of those who think he was, he was Jewish or whatever else, there's, there's pretty good evidence that he was from an area that is now, it wasn't then, but is now considered Italy. Ironically, uh, Amerigo Vespucci, came from an area that was that, that is now known as Italy. The the guy who sailed for for Great Britain um, called him John Cabot. Well, Giovanni Caboto was his uh, was his real name. He yes, <laughs> another Italian sailor. Um, so Italy has played a role in a lot of this uh, imperialism, and of course, nobody had a bigger role in um, in colonization on you know, in this hemisphere than Spain. So there, there is an irony that, that, that this pandemic is affecting Italy and Spain uh, in a big, big way. Not suggesting that the numbers are going to hold against the United States or, or Russia or, or India. Um, they're probably not even going to hold against the United States. They certainly, the United States surpassed their total numbers and will probably surpass their, uh, their death tolls too. But uh, there's an irony in that. Um, so I don't know. I've got some friends who are, who are Italian that I need to reach out. I mean, I don't mean just... American Italian, but you know, from Italy. So I'm going to reach out. You know, our, our the film crew that we ran into over the the Santa Maria this past summer. I'll have to check in with those guys and find out what what they're hearing from home. Um, so anyway, I, I just wanted to run some of those numbers, and because they they are frightening. Uh, look, even you know, both the the governor of New York and the president of the United States, you know, have now, especially the president, has conceded that no easter time is not going to bring people back into church if it does they better hope there's a god <laughs> because it's you know that's that's another nightmare scenario by easter time this thing probably will not even have peaked yet and and of course <clears throat> the the death totals for the united states are still <clears throat> holding at a level you know that seems at least reasonably proportionate to the number of new cases where those death tolls total start to get big, like uh, or disproportionate, like Italy and Spain are seeing is when the hospitals get overrun. That is just starting. So look, look if you're scared, you better suck it up because it's going to get worse before it gets better. And, you know, right now the hospitals have not been overrun. I mean, yeah, they're running low on, on a lot of supplies, but they're not being overrun in the way that Italy and Spain uh, are experiencing. But it's going to happen. It's coming. And, and again, the, the, the sheer size and population of the United States make this 
impossible to, to, to wrap your arms around. And, and, and again, in spite of the, mor- the moron in the White House trying to say, suggest that he's done such a wonderful job, um, there's no country that is experiencing, outside, you know, outside of Italy and Spain, and nobody is experiencing the, the massive um, uh, spread of this disease in the way the United States is, and including the two countries that are way, way bigger than the United States. At least from the records that they're the numbers that they're putting out there. So I guess we'll see. I will say this: at eight hundred and fifty-eight thousand um, cases throughout the world, Europe represents a significant uh, more than half of that. More than half of that. And I mean, look, if you just put Italy, uh, Spain, uh, Germany, France, and the UK together, they almost match that. But then you add up some of these other countries like Switzerland and uh, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, Austria. I mean, you are at all these other countries. It, it You start to realize just how much of that 800,000, 858,000 people um, are European and, and, and mostly Western European. I mean, if you look at the geography, you realize the concentration of uh, confirmed cases in Western, in, in Western Europe, considering the small landmass compared to the United States, compared to, you know, China, India, Russia. I mean, it's, there's a lot of cases in a small, small area there, which, um, you know, when I, when, as a native person, I think about the, the plagues that came from Europe. It's ironic that, that this plague is having such a devastating effect to, uh, to these European countries. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. So anyway, I want, want to, as always, I want to put some of those numbers in, into perspective. And, um, again, if, if, if you believe that the, the the mortality rate is going to come down, then what you have to believe is that the that there's going to be a, a massive swell in the number of cases that don't get serious. I mean, when and when I say that the United States has uh, almost um, uh, four thousand deaths, they have more than that that are still listed as serious or critical. So those numbers can go up. I mean, I, I mentioned Italy had you know kind of turned the corner at least for the day on new cases, but they still had over eight hundred thirty-seven uh, new deaths today, and they still got a bunch of people who are you know uh, in hospitals that are being listed as uh, as uh, serious or critical. So um, anyway, uh, you know the the subject that I wanted to talk about, and and look, I know I talk a lot about racism, but you you would think that. At some point, some of that hostility would, would go away. Um, some of that, you know, that discrimination, that prejudice, that overt racism would take a back seat to a global pandemic. I mean, this is a not this isn't just a once in a lifetime uh, occurrence. This is once in a century. I mean, again, you got to go back to to um, um, what, what is it? Uh, 1918, right? 1918 for the for the, the the Spanish flu that started in Kansas. I just don't want to say that. 19, yeah. So yeah, you go 19. Yeah. So in that, you know, again before 1920, 1916 to 1918 was when the Spanish flu, which started in Kansas, um, uh, wreaked havoc. And now there's this one. I mean, it's it's over 100 years. So this is a this is a a once in a century kind of occurrence. And you would think. I mean, because this is what everybody always says, oh, in a time of crisis, we, it's good to see people all coming together. Well, 
it ain't quite working out that way. It ain't working out that in po- out that way in politics, and especially in a, in, a, in an election year in the United States. And it's certainly not working out that way left and right uh, in the U.S. or in Canada. And we're still seeing the racism. I mean, the Buffalo News, for instance, they actually wrote a, the editorial board of the Buffalo News, which is a, a newspaper that was recently sold off and, uh, and, and is now laying off all, all of its people because of COVID-19. They were suggesting that the state needs to make the Senecas pay, make them pay. And, and of course, what they're talking about is the um, is the uh, extortion that the, the the state is trying to uh, pull off against the Seneca Nation for revenue sharing of their gaming enterprise, which is closed down. But the Buffalo News saying, nope, n- now even more, now more than ever, the the Seneca Nation needs to pay up, you know, pay the state what they owe, what the arbitration panel say they have to pay, what the courts the courts didn't say they had to pay. By the way, the arbitration panel did. But the, that's what the Buffalo News. So out of the blue, they pulled this out of thin air, because in case anybody forgot that the state and the Senecas are at war, nope, you got to uh, the Buffalo News got to got to stoke that fire, and they say now more than ever. Now here's the thing: now more than ever, the Senecas should be telling the state to go f off. Why? Because again, the Buffalo News article said, oh, they're holding uh, two hundred fifty thousand, two hundred fifty million dollars away, from, you know, from the the state. No, you're about half off. It, it's more like half a billion. To be clear, to be clear, it's a half a billion. And you know who needs that half a billion dollars more than the state? The Seneca Nation. They, their only means of public finance, the, the, their three casinos, are shut down. And, and I've said this on previous shows, but the only exclusive gaming happening in New York State is the state's lottery system. Yeah, they did suspend the lottery. No, they're, they're still, they're still going to encourage people to go into a store to buy a lottery ticket because apparently that's not that must be an essential service so yeah <clears throat> booze lottery and um geez, what else uh what else uh, oh guns yeah so booze guns and lottery tickets are still considered essential services in 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 the uh in the time of a global pandemic uh, you know according to the federal government and according to new york state yeah that's that's the priorities um so, again, so to, to, to see the Buffalo News kind of stoke this once again, it just kind of gives you, you know, it shows you how the people around us really feel about us. And, 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 and I just think it's worth mentioning. And if it were only the Buffalo News, that'd be great. But it's not. And, and look, you know, Jake and I are working on a new video. We're going to talk about a, lot, a lot about Canada. But tonight, I'm not just talking about Canada, but I'm including them too. Uh, and including when I say Canada, I mean Canadian citizens and U.S. citizens. We're starting to get some uh, some feedback, almost because of this uh, COVID nineteen, the um, this new stimulus bill that the that the the U.S. passed that Trump so proudly claims that he signed in the law, like like he made it happen. Um, we had a few people say uh, got into the details and, and are calling out the fact that that some of that money is going to Indian Health Service. In fact, one woman posted, um, if you divide the amount of money that, uh, that is included in this $2 trillion bill that's supposed to help defray, you know, some of the impacts of, of this, uh, you know, of this COVID-19 epidemic. Um, if you, if you take that, I think they, she listed it, I don't know if, it, even, know if it's true, because frankly, I didn't pay that much attention to the bill. But she said there was like $3 billion going to, going to uh, native issues, I guess. 
And she says, if you divide that by the number of actual native people, they're going to get more than the $1,200 that uh, that good old Americans are going to get. So, I mean, the, the racism, again, I mean, it's like it, it was unavoidable. I mean, and, and, the, and the fact of the matter is, native people's lives have been completely... I also... <laughs> it's been so upended by u.s policy that it's not even funny i you know i occasionally somebody will post something on facebook that says something to the effect that if you want to see how uh failed socialism just look at uh native territories as if socialism is what has driven the the abject poverty that exists on native territories no it wasn't so that's not socialism that's like saying slavery was socialism because the uh, the plantation owners provided all of the uh, the necessities for slaves that's not socialism that's slavery and if you cause the abject poverty and then you keep that poverty in place by your policies th- that's not socialism socialism is where everybody is you know is equal and 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 shares you know shares responsibility and there's a there's some sort of um uh you know equity in terms of wealth uh, uh disbursement uh you know income uh disbursement that's not what exists on native territories that's somebody who's got some twisted idea what socialism is but you know what that's what that's where racism comes in where where people can criticize and you know criticize what native lives are and the fact that you know the, the united states created a circumstance where some native territories are completely dependent on uh, on federal funding and and because that dependency was created and that's not socialism that's dependency that's different because that dependency was created you're going to have a certain class of white people saying, oh, yeah, th- those guys shouldn't be getting anything. They all have casinos. No, they don't. No, we don't. But again, there's this, this, the entitlement that white people have will look at, you know, whether, and, and then twist around what, what welfare really is, you know, or what social services are, and make it sound like somebody's getting something that they deserve and, and they're not getting enough take me to the canadian side (laughs) on the canadian side many of the native territories decided you know what we're going to close down our borders and even though we have stores you know the stores that are on the fringe will maybe they'll still service some of the 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 canadian public out there but we're worried about i mean look native people were the first to be really critical and, and cynical and skeptical i should say about whether this was real or whether it was a hoax and we have every reason to be suspicious but once our people realized just how real this really was, many of our territories, especially on the Canadian side, said, you know, you know what? we're putting checkpoints up. We just don't want people going through our territories. And the, it's funny because the, the, it's not even necessarily the same people, but all those people who railed against the, um, the, road, the, the, the blockades that were put on the, on the railways and the highways and that kind of stuff, and were you know, calling on you know trains to to you know to kill people and you know uh, shoot an indian day and all that other stuff those same some of the same sentiment comes out just because we won't let white people come onto our territories and it's not even it's 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 not even just white people the these territories that close themselves off said we don't need to have that traffic coming through here you, you know look, i know it's bad for business but we have to think uh you know think at a different level here we're concerned about our people and I start seeing the posts on Facebook and on Twitter and other places. People are saying, then don't let them off the territory. If they won't let us go through the territory, then don't let them off. Let, you know, or I want to go there. I'm going to, I want to buy gas. I'm going to, and I'm going to cough and sneeze all over the money that I give them. 
You know, all of these really just stupid and just hateful things that the white folks in, in Canada are saying because the Native people are saying, no, we're going to do some, some closing off of our communities. So just, just the mere idea, not stopping trains and, and bridges, this is about just closing off outsiders from coming out of the territory. White people are having a fit about it. Why? Because the cheap cigarettes aren't available to them. So now they're looking at even their patronage to our stores as some entitlement that, that we are depriving them of. I mean, it's, it's, it's like this, this has no end. I mean, you know, the funny thing is you, you look at some of the comments that, that get made, made throughout, throughout this stuff. I mean, there was a post uh, I, I saw that uh, the governor of, of New Mexico had expressed concern that COVID-19 could wipe out entire populations of Native people. The Navajo, which um, covers a, a three-state state area, the areas in New Mexico are getting the hardest hit, and, and hardest hit not only with the number of cases per the population, but the deadly cases. And so uh, the, the governor of New Mexico w- was raising an issue, and, and of course the president and was raising this with the president of the United States, and of course he was oblivious to it, no idea. Oh, yeah, well, we're going to have to really look at that. What she was calling for, this governor was calling for, was um, for the Army Corps of Engineers to do what they've been doing in some other states, which is to build a hospital. Because there are, there's no really extensive um, health services provided uh, on some of these more remote native territories. And the Navajo uh, population in New Mexico is, again, they're in a relatively um, you know, a medical desert, you might call it without having some you know especially with the um with this with this virus affecting so many people but so there are states and 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 the crazy part is they raise this issue now but this idea of a medical desert or a food desert or any of these other things that exist on our territories they existed before this and now they're starting to realize huh you know if we deprive these people of all these things and clean water and all that other stuff that might not be a good situation if things ever go bad. You know, it's not a good situation for us when they don't go bad. But this is the level of racism that exists in U.S. and state policy. I mean, jumping back to the to the gaming issue, just just, and we're about ready to take a break here. But to be to be clear, the Seneca Nation isn't the only one in this battle with uh, uh, with with state governments over the states trying to squeeze revenue sharing like literally extort revenue sharing when i say extort what is it what do you mean by extort well here's what i mean the, the position the states are taking either you're going to share your revenue or we're not going to we're not going to um, um continue with our gaming compact and if you don't continue with your gaming compact if you don't operate under a state gaming compact we're going to see to it that you're shut down now there's no proof that a state can actually do that but lawyers for many of the native uh, gaming enterprises are saying, yeah, but we don't know because we don't know what the Trump administration and their interior department is going to do. Because one thing we do know is that the Trump administration's interior department and the, the Obama administration's uh, interior department refuse to address this revenue sharing uh, provisions that, that have crept their way into these, uh, into these gaming compacts. And it's the interior department who needs to do their job. And refuses, and now the concern is if this Interior Department under Donald Trump does uh, addresses this issue, they may totally screw Native people. 
Look, we're going to take a break when we come back. Uh, you know, I want to touch just once again on the, on the Mashpee uh, uh, issue because that's another example of just overt racism uh, being demonstrated against Native people. So we'll talk about that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Uh, hey, I want to thank my sponsors uh, because without them, especially now, it would be very difficult to to keep going. And uh, you know, I want to give my hats off to to Jake for uh, for still making it in. We are six feet apart, but uh, but still, we're you know the idea that we're not sheltering in place. But let me thank my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank um, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, uh, Grand River Enterprises, and NWS. Um, and uh, and Cat Res uh, um, gas and smoke shops. I want to thank them for for stepping up. If we didn't have this kind of support, you know, even though I'm not going to New York, I'm still doing my New York show. We we pay for services that allow us to do these kinds of things. And if I didn't have that kind of support, it would be very very difficult for me to continue to do this. Uh, so I appreciate it. I also uh, appreciate the support that I get from you, the listeners who share the shows, um, my wife who shares it on a whole bunch of Facebook group pages, but those of you who share the podcasts and the videos and that kind of stuff. And I know we should have used this time to produce more videos, and we're going to work on one this week, um, so you can look for that. Um, but uh, we, you know, we're, we're still busy doing uh, not only this show on, on Tuesdays and Saturday nights, but also the, the, the show that I do for New York we're doing here at this studio. So, uh, so it's yeah, a little bit more work here. Um, so I want I want to thank all of you who who help us and you know grow out uh, grow out the the listenership. Um, all right, I wanted to talk about the mash P thing again. You know, I I kind of got into it last uh, last show, but sometimes the, the explanation is so complicated, and I want to make it simple. The mash P Wampanoag have uh, are. And they're their own way. They are original people. They are real people with a real tie to a homeland. Um, for whatever reason, however the United States manages to do this, uh, took them off of their register, I guess, of, uh, of, of recognized tribes. Um, they went through a process of what they call federal acknowledgement. And the problem with this federal acknowledgement or federal recognition is that the federal government has twisted the definition of what a native person is. And they did this in 1934 in particular. And, and, and that's when they redefined what a native person was, which is really difficult because when it's the federal government gets to decide that and define that, it leaves us as the, as the actual native people in a very awkward, awkward position because we either reject their definition um, and then we are not that, you know, or we have to somehow assert uh, our own definition that um, you know that that still creates a big question mark. So their definition of a native person is a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. So the Mashpee, which there's no question that they are an original people, but in in going through this process to assert their um, identity, which ends up being lumped into this federal acknowledgement process uh the federal government recognizes them and so the mastery said oh, okay, well, okay you 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 recognize that we you know what is obvious um and they began the process of reacquiring lost lands and part of it is they wanted to build 
um, no question about it. They were they wanted to build gaming. And why? Because gaming ends up being, like with many other territories, including Seneca Nation here, it ends up being a good means for public finance. I mean, because we don't tax our people. We don't we don't use the same systems that municipalities use. And we don't like the dependency that I spoke of earlier that uh, uh, that many people are forced to have on the federal government, Canadian government or the U.S. federal government, either one. So the mass we wanted to build gaming. So they, they started reacquiring acquiring land. And under the Obama administration, <clears throat> they used a process that is called fee to trust. That means you buy the, the, the property with a, with a fee title or a title that is um, a state deed. And then you use a federal process. And there's, there's really only one broad-based federal process for reclamation of, of, native, of, of, uh, of ancestral lands. And that's called the fee to trust. So you take that land that you bought in fee, and then you essentially have the federal government hold it in trust for you. I mean, it's still your land, but the federal government holds the title. And they reclassify the, the title as not as fee title anymore, but as trust lands that are for the use and enjoyment of Native people, of the, of the Native people they're holding it for. So, and that by that, by that act, the federal government considers it, quote-unquote, Indian country. Once it's been placed into trust uh, in the name of one of these, <clears throat> these tribes, uh, it becomes Indian country. And now, then it qualifies for, you know, to do things that have some semblance of sovereignty associated with, like gaming, like, uh, you know, tax-free sales and, and other things that the federal government or the state government might not have uh, oversight on, state government anyway. Except for gaming where the state government does have some oversight, but that's a whole other issue. So they, under the Obama administration, they, there are 230 acres or maybe it was 300 acres and, and people can correct me, but the point is several hundred acres were designated um, and, and put into trust for the Mashpee Wampanoag. Then uh, there were some people at the state level and probably gaming interests that raised, uh, tried to raise a question, said, wait, we think there's a... Um, there's a problem with that that fee to trust application, and even though it was already granted, they challenged it. And one of the things they challenged it was was again that 1934 rule. And I talked about this before, but let me just brush by it real quick. There's a rule, and they call it the 1934 rule. And what that rule says that if you are a federally recognized tribe, but you can't prove that you were that you were under U.S. jurisdiction as a tribe. In 1934, you can't reacquire land. You can't. You can't have land put. You can't utilize the fee to trust process. Now it's bizarre that that there's so much double speak and everything from again the the Fourteenth Amendment of the of the Constitution, the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924, and the Indian Reorganization Act of 1934, which is where the 1934 rule comes from. Well, you think with all of that, that these laws that the United States passed that, that tried to express that um, who was and wasn't citizens of the United States, in spite of what we think, they should have, you know, this stuff should have been covered. So the Trump administration just last week, in the midst of this, uh, of this pandemic, decided this is as good a time as any to express the racism of this administration. And they told the the Mashpee that they need to de-establish the land that they've acquired as native lands. 
I didn't know de-establish is even a word, but that's what they were told. They said, no, you, we got we to gotta, we gotta, uh, um, turn the clock back. So even though it was your land and then it was lost through who knows what, fraud, theft, whatever, swindling of, of some sort, and you reacquired it, it didn't push people off of the land claims. You, you reacquired the land, put it all together, and then got federal designation that it was now quote unquote Indian country. Uh, no, we're not going to let that happen. We're 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 going to strip that away. So now the Mashpee have a bunch of land that the federal government says no, it's not in trust. Uh, it's just state land. You're you're just like white people owning land. You got to pay taxes on it. And you know that whole casino thing. Forget it. Can't do it. You you can't do it. We're not going to let you now. There was no reason that this administration had to make that determination. And in fact, there are any number of ways that Congress, you know, um, or the Interior Department could have dealt with this issue. I mean, the Senecas, for instance, and I I mentioned this on the last show, the Senecas have a a very special carve-out in a a lease settlement that was um, determined by an act of Congress, the Salamanca Lease Settlement Act. Where the Senecas could reacquire land, not to put it into trust, but reacquire it as absolute title, as Seneca land, not as New York State deeded land, not as you know a, a U.S. deed or a state deed, but as Seneca land. So they can do it, but they ain't doing it for the for the Mashpee, and this administration isn't going to let it happen. So you know, I, I bring this up because, again, you would think if there was ever a time. That no, you're gonna let's let's play nice. We're we're all in a hell of a hell of a thing here. This is, you know, again, once in a century, once in a lifetime. This people are gonna look back. The kids that we have now, the little kids that we have, our grandchildren, in my case, or or your children. You know, for those of you listening, they're you're gonna talk about this for decades, and when they're adults, they're gonna look back and they say. Yeah, I, I was a little kid when that uh, when that COVID nineteen came through and you know killed a hundred thousand people. Yeah, that's what people are going to talk about. But even as they're talking about that, you say, "But you know what? The racism of Donald Trump's administration seemed to uh, you know persevere. The racism of U.S. and Canadian citizens seemed to to stay right intact when it came to Native people." You know the the bias and the and the privilege that white people have that felt that that enabled them to criticize anything that native people did that was somehow distinct from what they did that seemed to survive that's that's what i find just amazing in this time you know and you know i the show that i did in new york last week i I talked about racism in medicine and and i wasn't even talking about necessarily covid19 but there's been a, a number of stories that, uh, that that various news media, including NPR and you know some of the main networks, news networks have covered. And in fact, even a couple of the the shows on television, the, the doctor shows, there they've addressed this issue, which is that women of color, black people in particular, but women of color in general, have a mortality rate in childbirth that is four times that of white people. Now, is it because women of color can't give birth no that's not the case is and are they less healthy no that's not even the case 
It's the treatment at the hands of hospitals that are run by white people. Now, I'm not saying that everybody in a hospital is white, but the decision makers. And you know what? Even even people of color who work in a hospital have a tendency to do like like black cops do and perceive people of color differently than 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 white people. So if, if a woman of color, if a black woman says that she's having pain or, you know, or that she needs something, you know, a, a staff or administrator or a staff person might, might di- dismiss it. Much more likely to dismiss it when a, when a, when a black woman or a woman of color complains uh, about a pain or, or, or whatever than if, than if a white woman does. Nobody wants to see a poor white woman in pain. But you know what? Black people, women of color, they can sort of suck it up. And that's why a black woman or a woman of color is four times more likely to die in childbirth than a, than a, than a white woman. And, and to be clear, infant mortality and, and uh, maternal mortality with child, associated with childbirth, for a developed, for a first world country like the United States, the numbers ain't great, folks. And most of the reason the numbers ain't great is because the people of color bring that number down. We don't do it, but the way we're treated in these hospitals. So if that's the way a woman is treated doing something as sacred and precious as giving birth, what can we expect when a person of color goes into a hospital complaining of shortness of breath? I mean, how many people of color, when they go in to a hospital, are are immediately assumed to be either have no insurance or be impoverished, or being homeless, or something like that. I know how it goes. I mean, I I just know how it goes. I, when my first child was born, I was living in Houston, Texas, and my wife's water broke seven weeks early. And the assumption was because of the color of our skin that um, that we were Mexicans, and the the staff people at the hospital. Uh, immediately tried to speak to us in Spanish. Now, I'm not saying speaking to Spanish is racist, but the assumption that they made already was that, uh, oh, it's some of those people again. And and again, it can be subtle. It can be subtle. But when some of these subtle distinctions are, are, are rear their head in terms of treatment, that's when all of a sudden you start seeing what the numbers look like. Why a native person or a person of color or a black woman uh, has a four times more likely chances of dying in a hospital, even doing something as, you know, pure and sacred as, you know, as giving birth. So when something like this happens, this, this pandemic, I've, you know, the stories haven't really even started to roll in, but they're going to. And, and if we couldn't avoid racism in something like childbirth, when in in a situation where there isn't necessarily some underlying social disorder thing happening that uh, you know that causes st- you know staff administrator or, or administrators or staff to be under stress, but when you put them under stress like now, man, I, I, it scares me. It scares me to think about how people of color are going to be treated considering this this pandemic, and especially since, like I said. On social media, we're already seeing the racist comments come our way. There was, I mentioned the other day, there was a, a guy on Seneca Land where the thruway crosses, 
who wielded a shotgun or something like that. The, the, the cops stopped him. Uh, he he beat two police officers, I guess. The construction crew um, crews that were there doing the road, road construction assisted the officers. Anyway, they, they arrested him. The guy was from Niagara Falls. And he had bombs on him. And he had bombs and guns in his home. But you know what? Some of the first comments that hit Facebook... Because the guy was in that area that crosses the territory, it must have been those goddamn Indians. The, the, no, the comments started coming through first thing. First damn thing. You know, I, I'll admit that when I first heard the story, I'm thinking, oh, he must have been a white supremacist. supremacist. <laughs> you know, and shame on me for jumping to that conclusion. I, I don't, to this day, I don't know. We, there, nobody's really put together a motive on the whole thing why this guy had all these bombs in his home and why this guy was even acting out uh, on the thruway uh, and again most people when you're on the thruway you become oblivious it wasn't the fact that the thruway was so tore up where it went through seneca territory because the state refused to fix it um you might not even know when you're on seneca territory when you're when you're on the thruway i mean look we're just kind of a you know we're like a flyover state right we're like a flyover territory you fly down the thruway you barely even notice oh you see a few billboards but there's nothing to distinguish that you're on Seneca territory. So when this guy acted up, I don't know, it had anything to do with the fact that he was on, other than it being in a construction zone. But some of the immediate comments that were out there were just loaded with uh, with this this underlying racism. And it's not even, you know, we, we hear about it all the time when, when, when during, especially during this administration and, and even the last administration because, because of, of a, a president who was a, a person of color, um, the racism started really coming out. And once Trump got elected, now we, we assume that there's been such a normalization of racism that we just expect it. I mean, it, it's just, a, it's amazing to me that we just have to accept that that's the way it is. And if you resist it in any way, and, and even if that resistance has, to, has really noble reasons, like you want to protect your water, or your land, or your distinction in any way, it immediately gets met with this overt racist language. I mean, I, I said this before, and it's, it's not even just uh, on the Canadian side, on the U.S. side. Look, when we were battling the the, um, the mascot issue, some of the, the hateful things that were all over all the social media, uh, all of the forums associated with the newspapers, it, w- it was just incredible. And when the I Don't Know More movement was uh, was kicking up, I think it was the Winnipeg Free Press, the, the newspaper in, uh, in, in Winnipeg. They actually had to shut down their forum uh, you know, associated with their, with their newspaper. They said it, it was just too hateful. They, you know, they tried to, the, to moderate it, and, tried, and they said they were just overrun. They finally just shut off all comments. You could no longer comment on the uh, Winnipeg Free Press w- website. They had even considered shutting down the whole website. But they just eliminated all of the uh, all of the com- the whole comment section because of the overt racism. And look, we've experienced it here on on the U.S. side, especially the Buffalo News, and not just the Buffalo News. Some of the the Niagara Falls newspapers. Oh, now we, we we've got it from every place. And of course, the state jumps in. You know, it isn't just the, the press that does it; it's the people and and it's and it's their elected officials that do it. I mean, we've heard racist comments come out of guys like Andrew Cuomo. I know everybody thinks Andrew Cuomo is, uh, you know, is, is the second coming of Christ or something like that because he doesn't sound like a babbling idiot like the like the president of the United States. Oh, Cuomo for president. Well, 
<laughs> be careful what you wish for. You know, from a native standpoint, we've seen, we've heard the racist comments come out of uh, Andrew Cuomo, and and everybody's trying to say that he's he's showing such you know such gallant uh, leadership in the, in the face of this this COVID nineteen crisis. Let's be clear: the United States is not handling this very well. New York State was too slow to react. The United States was too slow to react, and and Cuomo and, and Trump can brag all they want about how quick they were to respond but they weren't they didn't and you know and new york is paying the price for it the united states is paying the price for it um and of course you all the all the u.s citizens who, who wanted to play oh this is a hoax you know i don't i don't believe this i don't believe this uh you want to deny you know whatever a scientist has to say because you you're so locked into this you know conspiracy theory mentality that if somebody tells you something is wrong for you then you gotta say oh yeah see here we go this is them trying to declare martial law well you know the solution to that from a native standpoint is take more control of your own territories and i don't mean you know build border walls but just be less reliant on 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 what comes from the state be less reliant on what comes from the federal government you know, I, and I'm not just saying that because of now. You, anybody who listens to the show knows that I always talk about this stuff. This is exactly what I'm talking about. And like I said, shame on me for all of those times on, on this show that I've talked about the bottom dropping out of the United States, their, their, their economic system, the, the debt that, uh, that drives state, federal, and global economies, that, that collapse. The collapse of the fossil fuels-based economy, the collapse of you know of social order because of nationalism and racism, the the collapse of the political system because of you know corruption in the system that has a you know a guy elected as the president of the United States with two million less votes than than the person they that they managed to defeat, the the DNC's you know uh, rigging the uh, you know their primaries last time and and this time too whatever's happening with with foreign interfe- interference i mean the political system is a mess the, the justice system is a mess and of course there's climate change and there's global conflict but i never even entertained a once uh, you know a 100 years a uh, 100 year pandemic i don't even know why i never thought about it I mean, I, there, other people have made this this uh, this you know, prediction, but I never gave it the kind of weight that I should have. Shame on me for being, you know, oblivious to it. I mean, I I get so caught up in in how man has screwed up the the things that they've created. I never even thought of the fact that that nature rears its head in such a way. I mean, I mean, a pandemic is not unlike climate change; it's nature's response. And you know that's that's what we're seeing here, folks. And, and look, I, I I wish I had. I guess it wouldn't matter if I called it or not. It wasn't going to change anything. But um, this has the potential to, I mean, to really get ugly. Like I said, we're probably three, four, maybe even five weeks away. I mean, I know the governor and the president are trying to say it's a week away or two weeks away from its apex in terms of you know the death toll and the spread and everything else. Not even close. Not even close. Like I said. A country of 330 million people, and only um, only about a million have been been tested, and the you know the the infection rate is pretty high, and the mortality rate is pretty high. 
And that's it's pretty high already without a run on the hospitals. So when this thing starts to get real bad, look, we're already feeling some of the racism today. How bad does it get when things start to really unravel? Look, there's people have been home for two weeks. <laughs> you know, I I expect there's probably been some domestic turmoil caused by it. People probably getting sick of being too close to their loved ones in some cases. You know, parents who who never had to give this much attention to their kids for the first time are realizing how annoying it is to be with their kids all day long. Kids being feeling the same way about their parents. No, some of this stuff has got to be tough. I mean, and you know, it's great for all of you who are really enjoying this time. Man, I'm 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 happy for you. I mean, I I don't feel terrible about the time that I'm spending at home. I mean, I I come from home to uh, to a studio where it's just Jake and I. I don't, you know, look, this isn't that much of a change to my lifestyle. But some people are struggling with this. And when this gets real bad in the next two, three, four, five weeks, I don't know what's going to happen to the to the social unrest. I mean, you know, it was pointed out to me a number of times that the, that the crime rate's probably down right now. And then what happens? So when the crime rate, you know, when people start really start to unravel stuff and you start seeing stores being looted i mean it was getting pretty tense in a lot of these stores when when people were were wiping out all the products on the shelves and there was some there was some tension people were fighting there were you know stores that were having a hell of a time managing some of the people who were losing their mind because they couldn't buy all the toilet paper they wanted but it's probably going to get much worse before it gets much better so what happens with the social unrest and and the underlying tensions that exist because of racism concern me because that's where it can get the ugliest first maybe not last but first and i'm not even talking about the the you know the longer term economic consequences of all this stuff you know and when people start getting hurt financially but this Man, I I just hope people can keep it together, and because it's we got a ways to go yet, folks. We got a ways to go yet. Look, we're gonna keep doing what we do here. Um, I will do my show, my Thursday show, my Thursday New York show, which is on WBAI, and that's from three to five p.m. It's a two-hour show on Thursday. I will stream it live on my Facebook um, group pages. We'll be doing it here in my studio uh, once again. And uh, and of course we'll be airing on WBAI. You can go. You can you know you can ask Alexa to play WBAI on Thursday at three o'clock, and you can listen to it on your smart speaker. Um, you can go on your computer and uh, pull up uh, WBAI.org, or if uh, if you're on Facebook, you can catch us as we we stream video of the show. Um, and uh, you know we'll 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 do what we do in that New York show, which is uh, you know talk about the issues. Uh, probably do a bit more of a COVID uh, nineteen update, uh, as well as uh, take take calls for hour two from uh, from all over. And I would love to get callers from from home, from native territories, calling into my New York show. So tune us in and uh, catch us on you know again uh, on online or on Facebook and uh, make the call, call into into our show in New York. Look forward to that. And of course, then we'll be back here on Saturday. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few days. Yahweh.